Let us pray. Father God, what sits before us is heavenly food. Your word is heavenly food. And yet in my own strength, I'm unable to serve it. In the hearer's strength, they are unable to partake in it. So we need the power of your Spirit. Bless us this morning to let us partake in the heavenly gift of knowing more about the glorious goodness of our Lord and Savior. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. It was a dramatic scene last week in this passage. Here, I have to just go behind this wall really quick. Make sure I'm okay. <laughs> All right. Okay, now I can preach. There's a dramatic scene in this passage last week where Zipporah intercedes on behalf of most likely her husband's life, possibly her son's life, possibly both, possibly even her household. And she performed that emergency surgery, which we recognized Gershom was probably about 30 years old. And so for a 30-year-old to submit to maybe a, a woman somewhere between 60 and 80 years old, to perform that sort of thing, the son would have to do that out of love of the father and a desire to cover up sin and to forgive sin. And how that reality ultimately points to Christ. And we're not going to focus on that today, but it does bear mentioning Zipporah here at the beginning of the text because we're not going to hear from her again until chapter 18 of Exodus. At some point, she was sent away back home to Jethro. And, and I would guess, first off, I would guess the second son also received emergency surgery shortly after the first. I would guess they weren't up to the task of necessarily walking 300 miles at that point. I would guess there were a little, maybe his Moses' wife might have been a little frustrated by the fact that, uh, hmm, it seems like you misrepresented why we were going down to Egypt to my father-in-law, and likely by extension, but that's speculation. But if you're wondering where Zipporah is, we don't really know at this point. What we do know with this passage is that Moses is now going to walk down to Mount Sinai, I had to laugh. Uh, so you know these little title, titles, these little headers uh, that you see in your Bibles. So like in the Pew Bible above verse 18, you see Moses returns to Egypt. 
I had to laugh about that title. That that was a poorly chosen title. Because until verse 28, through verse 28 of this chapter, Moses walks more than 600 miles, getting no closer to Egypt. 600 miles. Put that in perspective. That's like you walking from Harleysville pretty much to Atlanta. And he does it in a dry desert. So Moses returns to Egypt. I don't think Moses would give it that title. You know, later on, Joshua will add, and it's an often, uh, uh, it's a verse that people make light of. It's, it's Moses is called the most humble man in the world. And uh, people picture Moses writing that verse. Well, the second you write that verse, it's not true of you. Um well, maybe it still would be, but likely Joshua wrote it back in. But I think Moses takes so much time to just kind of clearly tell us all of those times he stumbles, all of those times he falls, because he is trying to make clear for us he is not the hero. Our faith is a faith in which if we're doing it right, we're making clear we're not the hero of the story. And we fall into pharisaical religion when we make much of ourselves in pride and we puff ourselves up and we pretend we're the hero. Moses is taking a great amount of time to make clear that he's not the hero. And I can just kind of imagine him after 600 miles of, of travel in the desert, almost having the Lord uh, put him likely to death, or at least his son, earlier, just staggering. Mount Sinai, Mount Hora. And then there is this beautiful moment of God's grace shining in, and God's grace meeting him there in the form of his brother, in whom he's called Aaron to be there at the moment. And likely after a 40-year separation at minimum, these brothers greet each other once again at the mountain of God. I remember, remember that show, Unsolved Mysteries. That theme song used to just scare me to death. But they would... You know, they'd have those really creepy stories that would keep you up at night kind of thing. And then, but then they would show like those 40 year reunions occasionally, those uplifting moments of like the long, the mother who long lost the child. And, and then there would be the update and you'd see them come together. Pictured that a little bit in this moment. And they share in this moment and, and Moses tells Aaron all that. He's going to basically do and, and, and tell him how this is going to go. And then my verse 28, uh, together, they start to, to move and shift and they go to Egypt. And they meet the elders there. And they, they do remarkable miracles and they share the word of the Lord. And the people are just uh, overjoyed. The elders are worshiping. It says to us in verse 31, and the people believed. And when they heard that the Lord had visited 
the people of Israel, and that he had seen their affliction, they bowed their heads and they worshiped. You know, it's, it's kind of funny. Are there more people here this week or last week in this sanctuary? We had almost double last week. I know for some, like I know Charles, who's been visiting, though. He, he broke Bruce and I last night. He's sick. He was, he was grieved that he couldn't be here. For some people, the struggle is even to come to worship. The struggle to come into the doors to worship. That's really not what this passage is about. There are passages for that. I think Bruce might be working on a sermon of that ilk. Those who struggle to want to come to worship. That's not what this passage is about. This passage is actually to those who show up at worship. They, they, they show up to worship, and they are enraptured. They are captivated. They hear the good news that Jesus Christ is risen indeed. Jesus Christ has forgiven them their sins indeed. Oh, this is wonderful news. This is fantastic news. And yet, they forget it. They forget to trust the one in whom they worship as they leave. Might happen at the back of the church. Might happen at the bottom of the stairs. Might happen in the fellowship hall. Might happen at the parking lot. Might happen at the home. Might happen when the thing happens at the job. That, that person that's really grading you does it yet again. But at some point, that, that moment of worship is broken into and evil succeeds in getting us to dismiss the God we worship through its plans, through its, its pathways that it desires to cover, carve out these large paths of destruction leading to destruction and people succumb. This is a passage for those who show up to worship. And yet when they leave worship, no longer want to be changed out there by the God they worship. And the irony is, this change happens as early as the first verse in chapter 5. We read in that first verse the following. Afterward, Moses and Aaron went and said to Pharaoh, after they had worshipped with all these people and been given clear instructions by the Lord, they go and they say to Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, Let my people go that they may hold a feast to me in the wilderness. And you're saying to yourself, that doesn't sound all that bad. That sounds pretty faithful. 
Well, there are at minimum five things, five things that Moses and Aaron right off the bat get wrong in their first talking to Pharaoh. The first is, and we see this from chapter 3, verse 18, it wasn't supposed to be just Moses and Aaron who went, but also the elders. The elders who had worshipped, the elders who had, had enjoyed seeing the miracles, they were supposed to come along. They didn't come along. They didn't go. Second, Moses changes the Lord's name. He was supposed to say, the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, and he decides to change it to the Lord, the God of Israel. Third, the Lord speaks of asking only for a three-day journey away. Moses omits that here. Fourth, God actually instructed Moses to use more peaceable language in the Hebrew. A let us go. A, there was some chivalry to it in one sense. Instead, Moses used the piel form of salah, which is uh, a more like a command. Send away. Send us away. Fifth, the Lord has Moses using a please. The proud parents basically say, you know, ask, please, please, let us go, please. There is no please, right? So the language is different. The how the request is about is different. Uh, God's language is much more courteous and diplomatic. And Moses' language is abrasive, in-your-face, confrontational. In one sense, he's striking the rock. And we know this struggle. My wife and I, a couple months ago, had a big blowout argument. And, and so it was round one, separate ways. Round two... All right, I went up to the room, tried to make peace. She tried to make peace. No, round two started again. The, the blows started. <laughs> God, we fixed it by round three. We fixed it by round three. The Lord fixed it by round three. She's a better person than I. She came over here to church to pray. I was praying too. Even for Moses and Aaron, the God in whom they were worshipped, the God who had shown them great miracles, the God had given them great restoration, already they're on the wrong track. And so Pharaoh curtly responds in verse 2. Pharaoh said, Who is this, is the Lord, that I should obey his voice and let Israel go? I do not know the Lord, and moreover, I will not let Israel go.
first thing. Does it make the Lord any less true that Pharaoh doesn't want to acknowledge him or esteem him? Doesn't make him any less true. Doesn't make him any less true at all. But one of the misunderstandings we could actually have of this time is we think, of course he wouldn't understand. He's just like captivated with um, Egyptian religion. That's not true of Pharaoh. We actually know, for instance, that the Egyptians at times worship Baal. Who was Baal a god of? The pagan Canaanites. But we actually have archaeological evidence that at times, you know, let's, let's find other pagan gods of the region and let's worship them too. This is, you know, the world loves this idea. Bring all, all the little pagan gods all the little pagan god idols together. And let's worship them. But this one god, Pharaoh's not interested of. He's never heard the name of, it seems. And that's actually a remarkable thing. We talked about this possibility a little bit earlier. It might be because the Hebrews have forgotten the name of God. I tend to think that's true, because even Moses had to ask God his name when he saw him in the burning boat. How quickly we can forget the name of God. And what would Pharaoh want to do with a God like this? This is a God of his slaves. This is a God of his measly slaves. These people are more of a nuisance than a help. These people um, are questioning my power. They're going after my authority. I'm not going to honor a God like this. I don't want to honor a God like this. I'm not going to respect a God like this. As we see in verses further down, it seems like he convinces himself, this God must be made up. These silly servants of this made-up God, I'm not going to give in to them. I'm not going to acknowledge this God. And I, I love how Moses and Aaron respond here. <sighs> they basically respond with the fact that, please let us go. A three days journey into the wilderness. Now they've mentioned the three days. That we might may sacrifice to the Lord our God, lest he fall upon us with pestilence or with the sword. Basically, if you don't let us do this, he will judge you. He will judge you. And this is the thing. And this is actually a moment where we need to make this more than what's about Pharaoh. You see, we Christians in the public square, and understand me, this is the God I love and adore, but let's look at the God we serve from a rationalist perspective, a purely rationalist perspective. Let's look at this God from the perspective of our political elites, our business elites, our societal elites. We 
call ourselves slaves to a Hebrew, a Nazarite carpenter who lived for 30 years, 2,000 years ago. And this Nazarite carpenter, we believe, is the Son of God. With differences of conviction for that. And you know what? We live in a world and we live in a country where a lot of people will show up on Easter because they like that story. They like that story of that Nazarite carpenter king who maybe came out of the grave 2,000 years ago. Not that king seems interesting, but really, in their day-to-day life, He's really a king of a distant land. He's a king that's far off. He's a king that hopefully I'll die slow enough that maybe right before my death, I might be able to say, hey, hey, remember me, king? I didn't care a lick what you said. I rather wanted to worship the things of this world. But King, do you remember me? Can you forgive me? And the good news about our King is he will forgive those prayers as we even covered in Sunday school. But the world discounts his kingly authority and people who think they call themselves Christian, practically speaking, discount his kingly authority. And if we're not careful, we can leave worship and we can live in a way where we give no regard to his kingly authority today here on earth. It does not change us. We rather rebel about against this God. And we basically say, who is this God who wants say over my life here today, here now? Don't you know, Nazarite carpenter, the Lord's day is really code word for the day before I go back to work. So I need to get out of here soon so I can go do the really important things. Rather than hearing from your word, rather than worshiping with you, rather than being in your presence and being changed by your presence so that when I go out to the world, I want to be faithful in the world. Sorry. A sermon broke out. I'm sorry, Christine. (laughs) But we need to check ourselves. We need to consider if we're really prepared as we leave here to be faithful in worship. And this king who challenges the Pharaoh's authority, who the Pharaoh has no desire to live by and to be challenged by. And by the way, that's a big solution that most pulpits, most pastors believe you got to fall into that trap. You want to be at peace in this world. Do not challenge authorities because then they'll just, they'll backlash. We just, we just got to go along to get along, folks. Go along to get along. A terribly wicked idea. Terribly wicked idea that knows nothing of the king. That totally forgets the king is not just the king we worship together on Sunday, but the king we take with us 
in times of trouble, and we're called to trust in when the things of life bear down upon us and we feel overwhelmed. And overwhelmed, these individuals will feel. Because Pharaoh's full ire and his full anger bears down upon them. The hardened Pharaoh will harden this Hebrew people with chastisements, with making themselves have to forage for their own straw. Bricks made by straw were three times stronger. You needed in the process to make a good brick to have straw. Pharaoh used to provide them the material to do this. He now basically says, you're making up a made-up God. You have so much time on your hands. You get your own straw now. You've already cost me enough time. If you look at verse 5, it seems like making up this God, imagining this God. You need to get back at work at people. You need to serve our society, our government, our rules. And so... It happens. The people who were at worship at the end of chapter 4, look where they are by verse 15. Most tragic thing indeed by verse 15. By the way, the taskmasters were Egyptians. The foremen were Israelis. Taskmasters were the muscle in one sense. The foremen were the Israelis who helped keep him in line so the muscle didn't have to get involved. People are being beaten because they're not making their quotas anymore because they don't have the time. They don't have the ability. They don't have the strength to please Pharaoh. To please this Pharaoh, this hardened Pharaoh, even though they want to please this hardened Pharaoh. And and let us read this betrayal in verse 15. Betrayal of a once worshipful people. Then the foremen of the people of Israel came and cried, Pharaoh. Who are they crying out to? Pharaoh. Why do you treat your servants like this? We're your slaves. We're your slaves, Pharaoh. We serve you. No straw is given to your servants. Yet they say to us, make bricks. And behold, your servants, your slaves, Pharaoh. We're your slaves. We're not the slaves of that God we were worshiping earlier. We're your slaves. Can we, can we, can we get back in your good graces, Pharaoh? But the fault is in your own people. Oh, make bricks. And behold, your servants are beaten. But the fault is in your own people. We're your people. Don't beat us. We're sorry about that, God. We're sorry about that, God. We'll we'll compromise. We'll compromise our faith. We'll compromise the God we were worshiping earlier. We'll compromise in order to go along to get along. And this is a terrible, terrible betrayal. We can know the miracles. We can see the miracles. We can hear the word. And yet, when we compromise with the world, we have done a most gross injustice indeed. And how do you think Pharaoh responds? Like the Grinch who stole Christmas. Oh, my heart grows three sizes larger. Thank you, my people. You're my servants. 
He doesn't relent. The world will never relent enough to give you the peace that your heart seeks, your soul seeks. There will be no politician who will be elected the next election cycle who will give you the peace that you seek. There will be no purchase that we make in the stores we go to. Me, I like to try food out. That will give us the peace that we seek. All we will be shown to be doing is putting our trust into things of this world that are hardened to the deliverance, deliverance that we receive through our glorious God. And they will give us no peace. And they will not relent. But we have about half the people we had last week because half of the people heard the message last week and now they want to go try to find peace elsewhere. It wasn't here. It wasn't in this worship service. They just wanted to hear about a distant king from a distant land, not one that ruled out over them outside these doors. And as we can see in this passage, it can befall us similar temptation the moment we leave this worship service as well. No mercy is shown. And so by verse 20, the people met Moses and Aaron, it says in the ESV. It actually, in the Hebrew, it's basically attacked. Um, essentially assailed them with words. Uh, they are, it's heated. And they are blaming them for their afflictions. By the way, God had told Moses this would happen. Moses, presumably, had told Aaron this would happen. Why didn't you just go along to get along? Don't you know? It doesn't matter that 30 years ago, 20 years ago, 10 years ago, I was in those pews and I, and I would say, I'll never buy into that garbage. I know God's word doesn't say that. I know God's word doesn't uphold this is true. This definition of marriage, this definition of humanity and, and who I am as a person, this definition of, of what a life in Christ looks like. But surely, but slowly, as we leave those doors, God, we worship the God we hear from in his word. As the world begins to bear down, we think, oh, oh, this is hard. Maybe, maybe we should relent. Maybe. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, politicians. I'm, I'm sorry. I apologize. I didn't use whatever vernacular that you've created. I'm so sorry. I apologize. 
this is your kingdom. This is not his kingdom, of course. I'm sorry. I, I can't believe I was living as if it's the Nazarite's kingdom. Shame on me. I, I deserve to be canceled. I wasn't treating it like your kingdom. And the thing is, even Moses, humble Moses admits, we'll hear God's answer next week. He admits at the end here that he also forsook God in this moment. We see starting in verse 22, halfway in, Moses says to the Lord, Oh Lord, why have you done evil to this people? Totally forgetting what God's word told him. Why did you ever send me? He's back to square one again. For since I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has done evil to this people. And you have not delivered your people at all. At all. Talks a lot about mediator downstairs, intercessor. Moses does not want to be the intercessor. We cannot bear the burden of being intercessor. That is something our priest comes to. But actually, there's a few things I need to point out before we close. These people had a far better reason than we have to forsake our God. They were being beaten, beaten unto the point of death for worshiping. What's our hardships? What's our hardships in comparison? Why, why can't we always carry God from worship out with us into the hardened world? What's the hardship? We don't have hardship like they had hardship. But also, there's something even more important than that. You know, they thought, they thought Moses and Aaron were standing in the gap. They thought Moses and Aaron were kind of the ones who were lord over all that had transpired. But we know better. We know better. It's that Nazarite carpenter we're supposed to be slaves to not only in worship, in devoted worship, but as we leave these doors. And when we insult the providences of our life, when we insult the hardships of our life, when we say, I just, I have no affection for you at this moment, we insult. Jesus Christ, our Lord and King. That's who we insult. That's who we insult when we make this day, when we make all the other days of our lives about us, about the things of this world, rather than the King who came into this world in order to die for our sake 
for our sin and for our salvation. And so let us take heed of the high importance of not just showing up on Sunday to worship the Lord, but also to leave this place willing to trust the Lord in all hardships, in all difficulties, in all situations, even against the powers of this world. Amen? Amen. Let us pray. Father God, we are incapable of what your word has just called us to do in our own strength. We are incapable of purely in our own strength leaving this place and being ever more faithful to abide in you. So we need the work of your spirit. We need the strength of our conquering King, who is Lord not just of a distant realm, but Lord over heaven and earth. We need His intervention. We need His intercession. We need Him to protect us from sin and from stumbling. To protect us from our wayward hearts that so quickly dismiss you. Our hearts that want to make this day about us and every day about us rather than the days, our days about you. And so we pray in your name. We thank you for the full measure of grace that we have received through Christ Jesus. Help us to abide more faithfully in him. Amen. And now let us take a moment quietly and privately to confess those moments where we failed to be the people in worship, outside of worship. Amen.